0: Hey, Rockheads, quit trying to set your laser printer to stun and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 456 with guests Jason Diller and Daniel Krenna. recorded live Monday, June 1st, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net training developers to work smarter and now offering .NET Nuke video training with Chris Hammond from Engage Software on DVD, DNR TV style Order your copy now at www.franklins.net Support is also provided by Teller, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first class customer service online at www.telerik.com and by Grape City Data Dynamics Makers of active Reports.net. simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .net developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who says, early to bed, early to rise. Makes people suspicious. Carl Franklin.
1: In my room. That's Thank you very much. Welcome back to DotNet Rocks. Carl and Richard here. It's our Thursday show. Hey, Richard. Hey, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, I was going to play tonight at uh, a place over in Westerly, and I I put and I and I spent about an hour and a half tweaking my sound. Like, I've got this guitar that has a split Roland GK pickup, so the bottom two strings I play bass on, and, and I send that through a bass amp, and then the top four strings can sound either like an acoustic guitar or an electric guitar, and I send that through my my regular guitar amp, my uh, uh, Miss Boogie uh, dual rectifier head. It's really nice. So I got, I'm tweaking my sound. It's like, yes, I'm going to use this for the first time with this amplifier and this tweaked sound. I load it all up in my car, you know, and it's a couple of big amplifiers and stuff. I drive about twenty-five minutes. I get there, and nobody's set up. And I'm like, uh, uh-oh. <laughs> so I call the, uh, I call the guitar, the other guitar player, and I say, uh, aren't we playing tonight? And he says, Nope. they canceled that. Remember? Didn't you get the memo? <laughs> no, I didn't get the memo. Didn't get the memo. <sighs> oh well. But I got a really sweet sound. So you're happy with the setup now? Yeah. Hey, and by the way, uh, you know, Jay and I have been working diligently on some new music here, and I'm coming out with a solo album at the same time. So we'll maybe have a little sample of that pretty soon. Nice. Yeah, I'm thinking. That's great. Let's jump into Better Know Framework here. All right. Yeah, so we've been talking about WPF, System Windows, and uh, did you know that WPF has its own threading model? Oh, really? I did not know that. So there's system.threading, which is the .NET threading namespace where all the threads are. Yeah. And all those other classes. But we have system.windows.threading. Oh. turns out that you need special thread handling with WPF. So I'm reading from the MSDN documentation uh, a topic called threading model. Windows Presentation Foundation is designed to save developers from the difficulties of threading. As a result, the majority of WPF developers won't have to write an interface that uses more than one thread. Because multi-threaded programs are complex and difficult to debug, they should be avoided when single-threaded solutions exist. No matter how well architected, however, no UI framework will ever be able to provide a single-threaded solution for every sort of problem. WPF comes close, but there are still situations where multiple threads improve user interface responsiveness, or application performance. After discussing some background material, this paper explores some of these situations and then concludes with a discussion of some lower-level details. And the topics are uh, the dispatcher, which is the center of the universe for for WPF threading, threads in action, samples, technical details, and stumbling points and related topics. This is a very cool white paper. Summer reading, I encourage you. Really? So if you didn't know that in your, you know, maybe you missed that in your WPF uh, programming, go check it out. Awesome. Hey, so how's Run As Radio going? Hey, really good. You know, we're over 100 shows now. I think we're at about 115. Now, that, this show isn't just for .NET developers who dabble in IT, is it?
2: No, it's, it's really aimed at the IT pro, although I'm surprised at how many developers I get emails from who say, I'm just listening to what the other side is talking about. But we do tend towards uh, Microsoft technologies like Exchange and SQL Server, Active Directory, those sorts of things. Although we also go further afield, talk about ITIL, security procedures, uh, and uh, IP technologies. Uh, we had a great discussion about IPv6 a while back, but it's been, it's been a lot of fun. It's a very broad range of topics. So it's a challenge to sort of get a uh, handle around everything that's going on. I think I could do a weekly show just on exchange. Yeah. And we certainly stepped on a minefield when we started talking about performance monitor. Believe it or not, I think performance monitor could be a weekly show all by itself because. Yeah, there's so many performance counters. And people don't know how to use it or what's in there, especially in the 2008 and Vista editions. They've changed a whole bunch of stuff for the better. So wow. it's uh, it's really been a lot of fun to explore all these topics and, and ran into a group of guys called uh, the Premier Field Engineers. They work for Microsoft, but they're primarily in the field. They work for the big companies that have the the support agreements with Microsoft. And these guys are some of the smartest people inside of Microsoft. They make
1: apps work. All right. So, listeners, you have a mission. Your mission is to burn a couple of run as radio MP3 files to disk, march into your IT guys' offices and distribute them around say, hey, listen to this, because it's good stuff. It really is. Yeah. And if you got to pick one, I'd pick one of the perfmon
2: ones. If you just want to start somewhere, try show82. Clint Huffman does performance analysis of logs. That will make your IT guy cry, because until he knows about PAL, he's been doing it the hard way. Awesome. Hey, you got an email for us, man? I do indeed. It starts out, Carl and Richard, long-time listener, first-time caller. I consider myself an average developer in terms of quality and quantity of my daily output. I am constantly trying to learn new techniques and technologies as time permits, which is not as frequently as I'd like. Podcasts like .NET Rocks are a great source of information for me, even if I'm not always able to follow up with the topics presented in a particular show. The development community seems to be becoming more and more social, which is fantastic, especially for geeks like myself who are thirsty for knowledge. Yeah. However, I have not been able to find a good resource for developer mentoring. It Hmm. seems that there are plenty of opinionated gurus out there who blog or tweet about their peeves and how they would have tackled the problem differently, but none of those folks seem willing to take a misguided or simply younger developer and work with them directly. I believe our industry would benefit from having a graduated mentoring system similar to blue-collar professions that have a significant title such as apprentice, journeyman, master, and so on. Hmm. Outside of traditional education paths and perhaps some brand-new technology-specific certifications, you don't see many, if any, actual mentoring opportunities for guys like me who truly want to move beyond the average level but need some regular one-on-one time with a developer better than themselves. Right. Most companies have a lead or senior developer that might be tasked with mentoring junior developers, but how often does that actually happen? And if it does, what does it look like? Google is a great resource, as are the social interaction services like Stack Overflow, but the results are often so focused on one grain, a younger developer may not know how to identify the better solutions in the context of a larger picture. And if he or she can't do that, they never move beyond the average level. You know what this reminds me of? Is yeah. the Corey Hines, do you remember when we talked to him yeah.
1: at, uh, in January, back in January? Yes, and he was—he had just come back from a tour where he goes around the world and says, "If you put me up in your house and feed me, I will." I will do pair programming with you. I will code with you. And what was interesting about what Corey was talking about is I think what Nick is
2: actually talking about here is he does not want an apprenticeship. He knows how to program. He wants to get better. Right? He's ready for the journeyman experience that Corey was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a very different thing because it's, I already know how to code. I want to get even better. I want to work with really talented people and, and find those opportunities. I think that's, he's right. These are incredibly
1: hard people to find. When you do find them, they're swamped. And you know there are, there are professional companies out there that do this under the you know under the banner of consulting or right. mentoring. Um, you know so that might be a good place to start. I mean the the, the one of the earliest companies that did this was Developmentor, right? Right. And it's the name uh, Franklin's Net, we did that as well. Mark Dunn's company Dunn Training does that. Um, uh, WinElect does that, iDesign does that. So, sure. Yeah, there's a lot of them out I there. I think they
2: are out there, but you make the valid point of they call themselves consulting companies. But I bet if I was going to bring a consultant in and I say, I demand mentoring, like this is yeah. what I want. Yep. I want a senior guy who can make me a better developer in the process of dealing with my problems. Yeah. I think it's a very reasonable way to go. Sure. Uh, and Nick ends off the email with thanks for your input and keep up the fantastic work on .NET Rocks. And Nick, a mug is on its way to you. And if you've got questions, concerns, ideas for shows or anything else, send
1: us an email, .NET Rocks at franklins.net. You'll get a mug with our logo on it. Our guests today are Daniel Krenna and Jason Diller. Daniel is a Microsoft MVP and the creator of TweetSharp, an open source Twitter API development library. He's currently writing professional Twitter development for Rocks Press and is working on a Twitter-based startup with co-creator Jason Diller. Daniel was a contributor to the Microsoft Ajax Control Toolkit and is a Microsoft certified professional developer. You can read his blog at www.dimebrain.com, let me say that again. You can read his blog at just like it sounds. D-I-M-E-Brain. Jason Diller. An application framework developer for a Canadian ISV has been working with c Sharp and .NET since its beginnings and other languages on Microsoft platforms all the way back to FoxPro for DOS. In his spare time, he contributes to the open-source TweetSharp project. He works on a Twitter client, raises two daughters, and plays bass guitar in his employer's house band. Hey, Jason, I didn't know that. We did this DNR TV show, and that never came up. I guess I didn't read your official bio.
3: I don't think I'd send it to you at the time.
1: He posts regularly on Twitter at twitter.com slash jdiller and blogs infrequently at diller.ca. Welcome, guys. Hi. Hi. Uh, what kind of bass do you have, man? No, I'm just oh, kidding. Uh, I don't want to go there.
4: <laughs> I play bass as well. Or,
1: you guys uh, both play yeah. bass?
4: Yep. It's an what? interesting. Uh, I didn't know that you played uh, bass, Jason. So
1: <laughs> Likewise. What are the odds of that? Wow. It's awesome. Richard, do you play bass? I do not. Well, three out of four ain't bad. Uh, what can I tell you? Okay. Uh, you guys have been on DNR TV. If it's not published by now, it should be soon, dnrtv.com. Uh, we do shows in advance, so I'm not sure what when the scheduling is, but check it out anyway. About TweetSharp, and just because I, I've never heard the words Twitter and development uttered in the same Sentence before. Tell us what is available at Twitter for an API, and then what TweetSharp is.
3: Um, sure. Um, so Twitter has a a, a public API um, that you can use to basically do anything that you can do right through the through the Twitter site. Um, it's a REST API, um, so it's uh, it's fairly um, simple. Um, and if you were to start from scratch programming against it, you'd have to deal with a lot of the Uh, HTTP goop that goes along with uh, programming against the REST API. So TweetSharp uh, handles a lot of that goop for you and uh, gives you a nice uh, interface uh, that you can use from a a .NET uh, language to talk to the Twitter API and uh, do anything that it exposes.
1: So like what? I mean, uh, obviously I'm thinking you can send tweets, but what... Else, can you do besides that?
3: Um, sure, you can. You can obviously post tweets. Um, you can fetch um, tweets that other people that you follow uh, have posted uh, through the, the friends timeline. is what it's called. Um, you can use the search APIs um, to search for specific terms. Um, you can update your profile. You can do. Uh, you can change your picture. Even change the background color of your of your uh, Twitter homepage. Oh, really, yeah. Pretty much anything you can do through the site is exposed through the API.
1: Now, one of the coolest things that you showed me in this API is the search capabilities, which immediately got my got me thinking. Search there, you know. Okay, there's got to be a database of tweets. Is that that's what you're able to search, right? And and throughout history, like any tweet that has had a particular word in it, you ever since Twitter started you can find
4: um, technically technically not um, I think the search the search API came about um, it was actually purchased by Twitter another company named surmise uh, originally created it uh, and I think there's some architectural differences between the two but uh, they don't give you a specific date as to when things sort of drop off but uh, in our own tests I've found that there's about a three month window where you can, you can use search to find everything that's within those three month period and then you may just find that uh, you don't get any results back. Um, but there is technically a way to get, uh, Twitter messages all the way back, uh, you know, since the dawn of time as you're suggesting. Uh, what you do is use the, the REST API because logically as far as Twitter is concerned there's two APIs at work. There's the REST API and the search API. Um, you wouldn't use the search one to go back farther than about three months. And again, that's not really a, a, an official number. It seems to, to fluctuate. But uh, on the REST API, um, you're able to, you know, fetch your own tweets or another user's uh, tweet as far back as you need to using uh, a page and uh, uh, count um, parameters to try to find as many as you can. But it's actually kind of a, a difficult process to go far back in time. I think the the spirit of it is meant to be sort of a today and forward kind of thing. So if you really wanted to search into the future, you'd use, you know, you'd start today and then continue to to run your your whatever logic you're using to collect things as you go forward.
1: And um, I imagine also that people are using this to, uh, you know, to to let them know whenever somebody uses a word or phrase like a product or something, if you're a company with a product. You can put a query out there that says, "Let me know," or do you have to pull for it? Is there a, a sort of a push mechanism or you have to just constantly pull
3: You do have to uh constantly pull um there's there is one push mechanism um that they call the uh the fire hose it's built on x m p p um but they're they're they they hold that tight to the vest they don't give it out um for anybody to use um and it's basically all the tweets in the world um constantly coming out um uh, and that's what they would use um that's what some eyes used when they were a separate company to index um all the tweets for uh for search and uh, there's a couple other companies that have access to it but generally uh you have to ask and they don't give it out just to right. anybody. um so so you're left with polling uh on a periodic basis uh for your search terms and uh, and getting
4: back the results i would say you can actually uh Use one of those, uh, one of those, uh, privileged, uh, companies that has the ability to access the XMPP, uh, push service or the firehose is a company called, and I hope I'm pronouncing it right, uh, GNIP, uh, G-N-I-P dot com. Um, they, uh, will actually open up their API for you as well. So you could use, uh, GNIP, uh, to, uh, you know, open up an endpoint and listen for pushes coming in it says you won't actually be using the twitter api specifically but you could use their third party service which does have access to the firehose so there is a way to do it uh today using uh using another service that that is free for for most purposes
2: do we have a sense of the velocity that's coming out of that raw firehouse? how much messaging are we talking about
4: no i don't know the i don't know the uh the exact number but i know that uh the reason they're not releasing it publicly uh is because of just how much is is coming out of that uh that post and I know that the statuses if I'm not mistaken has already reached the point where they're using a long integer or a long number um, so there's quite a few messages uh, obviously in the trillions by now uh, the 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 user base has uh, grown considerably I think in March are around three million people and it's it's way over 10 now so I think that the the service is uh, scaling out of control at this point so a hardened cost number would uh, be difficult to come up with, but it's definitely uh, significant.
1: This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, without whose support this show would not be possible. Hey, how many times have you drowned into endless CSS classes just to change the color of a single element of your application UI? How many times have you had to ask your designer to create custom skins so that Your UI controls match your company's brand identity. It's time to turn to a new page. Telerik has launched the Visual Style Builder for ASP.NET Ajax, an online application that allows you to visually modify skins or design new ones with point and click. Colorizing a complete skin at once has never been easier. Just move the color slider, and all elements will shift their color spectrum accordingly. That's cool. If the colorization is not enough, you can fine-tune individual elements to perfection. Whether you want to change fonts and sizes, margins and padding, background colors, or just about any style property, it's all easy and intuitive through the Visual Style Builder's graphical interface. It sounds incredible, so let's go and check it out at stylebuilder.telerik.com. Hey, and don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. And there is a raw, I mean,
2: there's a raw API here we could get to, right? Like it's just publicly available. The, the basic search API and stuff for Twitter. Like if you want to write the code, you can talk to it directly.
3: Yeah, certainly you could. You can do a lot of it even just uh, in your browser, um, just just by typing in the the URL that it expects, and you'll get back um, either XML, um, JSON, or. RSS or Atom.
2: So this is purely about making things a little simpler to, for for developers, or maybe it's just a, I'm I'm not fully understanding the complexity of the API that getting it into the context that means something.
3: Well, um, there's a there's a few things that uh, that you need to, to deal with to talk to the API. Um, only uh, only a handful of the uh, methods are are, are public. That, in that you don't need to authenticate. Um, uh, you know give it a a username and, and password and uh things are moving to towards um oauth now instead of basic authentication which is a uh they call it like handing the valet keys um to your data to a to an application um rather than actually giving it your your username and password that you use day to day um you can you can authenticate it through oauth and then that allows that tells twitter that you've allowed that application um access to your data without actually giving the application your password. Um so there's there's a lot of of, of APIs that require that authentication. Um and w- certainly with OAuth it's not trivial to do. Um it's it's fairly simple with basic where you're just passing a username and password in the header but uh with OAuth you have to worry about signing your uh request. Right. Yeah. And uh you know, uh, where that's where um uh, you don't want to have to write all that stuff yourself. Uh, you, you want to grab a, a third-party library that takes care of that for you.
2: Yeah, you want to have that figured out once. And I have noticed that there's lots of Twitter, even online clients and or tools and things, where they ask you for your username and password. I'm like, I'm not giving you that.
3: Yeah, it, for, for the longest time, that was actually the only option that Twitter made available. So um, if you did want to use um, a third-party client, whether it was a, a desktop client or or a website, you, you, you had no choice. You had to give them your, your username and password. Um, and recently, within the last couple of months, uh, they've rolled out OAuth as uh, as the as the new way of doing that, and and certainly I think it's the better way of doing it, um, but it it does complicate the uh, the developer's life a little bit. Uh,
4: you know, beyond the uh, the API methods uh, that are you know as you say publicly available and able to be hit with a browser um, or with basic authentication, uh, TweetSharp is not so much uh, just a wrapper around uh, the methods that you could. Uh, call yourself with a HTTP web request. Um, we've gone, uh, the distance to, uh, to build additional features as well that, that most, uh, Twitter applications, uh, would need. Uh, probably a little focused on the client side of things and as in, you know, projects like, uh, TweetDeck or Seismic Social Desktop, uh, those kind of projects, um, are the kind of projects that would benefit probably the most from, uh, TweetSharp simply because we're using TweetSharp as a, as a form of dogfooding to build our own Twitter client. So there's, and, you know, it goes beyond just being able to send a request and, and it goes beyond, uh, helping you deal with the plumbing code of, you know, HTTP requests and OAuth. We're also, you know, providing, uh, sequential and asynchronous access, um, you know, operation modes as well as, uh, caching. Uh, of requests, so you're not, you know, uh, using unnecessary bandwidth and gzip compression and things of that nature. So while, you know, it's very easy to use the Twitter API and we're definitely not claiming that it's, you know, a, a black art, um, there's definitely a lot there, uh, that, you know, you, if you don't want to have to think too hard about and you just want to build your application, uh, quickly, then that's, that's kind of where, where we fit into this, uh, developer tool stack.
2: Could there be a link to Twitter coming out of this?
4: Uh, I think, for the most part, uh, TweetSharp already is uh, linked to Twitter in the sense that um, we have a, a data a class conversion uh, feature that, when you get a response from a REST API, and in this case Twitter, you you, know, you end up with a representational format of what the entity was you're trying to get. So if I went to get, you know, the the top. 20 uh, latest tweets from a particular user, I'd be getting back a, a string, essentially a chunk of XML or a chunk of JSON. Um, and, you know, if, I, it'd be up to me at that point. There's definitely a clear seam between what comes from the web and, and what we have to work with. So I'd have to, you know, create a data contract JSON serializer or a JavaScript serializer or XML serializer, some kind of you know, out-of-the-box .NET conversion uh, tool to turn that into something I could, you know, throw up in a in a visual or you know, turn it into a class, for, basically to to work with. Um, TweetSharp does that uh, automatically uh, after the response comes back. If, for example, you knew you were expecting a collection of uh, tweets, um, which to the API is called statuses. Uh, what you do is you'd call um, as statuses, which is an extension method that comes with TweetSharp. Uh, on that string response and then you'd end up with a collection of classes. So um, where link comes in is that you can easily use the link to object syntax. Everything coming back would be I enumerable. Um, you could filter it, sort it, do whatever you want with link uh on those classes, and uh you'd you'd be finished. Now the difference, the key difference is that you know to really be a link to Twitter I think that what you'd need to do is is be able to convert your expression, your query that you want to get from the system and turn it uh, into, you know, I say I only wanted a, a very small subset of tweets that were, you know, within a certain time range and from a certain person and to another person, um, you know, I could use the search API, of course, um, but you know you'd have to translate that there's no sort of a SQL or like query language for Twitter that only let that lets you hit that database you're really restricted with the rest right. interface to just get back what you want so effectively because you can get back objects because they're automatically done for you you just turn them into objects and away you go the objects fully you know they they implement i notify property changed so you can use them right away in WPF and Silverlight. The serializable so you can save them to disk for your caching strategies. Basically link the link to Twitter concept is is solved by the fact that you get them as objects and you can use linked objects over over those and, and you wouldn't notice the difference.
1: Hey, I'm curious as to what's some of the more interesting applications uh you've seen that use Tweet Sharp.
4: Um, I've seen a couple out there. Um, we're starting to put together uh a list of uh, featured applications uh, it's coming along a, a bit slowly at the moment because we've you know I've been busy writing the book and and uh, Jason's been busy building out some of our services which we'll tell you about later but um the uh i've seen one where uh, something called run saturday i think it's runsaturday.com um where uh where developers using a uh, uh, tweet sharp to build a twitter application that coordinates uh sort of like a community running runner's circle that meets uh, at certain times and they go out and uh, uh, do their thing and come back. I've seen it also used, uh, and I'm not sure because I wasn't able to see the application, but I saw that it was being used for uh, something called the Pro Twitter Forums. Uh, and I'm not really sure what that is, but it could be uh, like a business uh, analytics thing. I know a Press Room is using it uh, for... Um, one of their tools to keep uh, their users notified about changes to, I guess, their accounts and things of that nature. So, um, you know, it's just starting to to really uh, take off. But I noticed there's a, about uh, almost a thousand downloads of our, of the last preview we did. So, I'm sure there's tons of uh, uses that w- that we don't know about. But uh, if there are, we'd love to hear about them so we could get them featured on uh, TweetSharp.com.
1: Now, could you use Twitter for uh, sort of um, I guess you could use it as a sort of a notification mechanism, couldn't you? Is there anybody using it for for the non Twitter aspect of it, just the communications aspect of it?
3: I think uh, Scott Hanselman wrote a, wrote a little app for his friend at the sandwich shop that lets him take orders. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's neat. I think he calls it Tweet Sandwich. Um, he he talked about it on his blog blog. Um, yeah, he has a friend that runs a Quiznos, and uh, and and you can you can. Order a order a sandwich from him by uh, by just adding his name and what you want on on Twitter and 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 his uh, his app will filter it out and I guess print it out or I'm not exactly sure how it lets him know that he hmm. needs to make the sandwich but
1: wow
2: yeah the really interesting side of this you're just getting into some of the app ideas around Twitter is this ability to automate say the consumption mm-hmm. of direct messages and things like that to to start utilizing this as a because the power of Twitter really comes in when you're able to communicate over SMS. Like it's it, to me it's starting to shape be, between tweet sharp Twitter and SMS you're talking about real sort of peer to peer communications between cell phones without going onto the internet per se.
4: Yeah, I can see that for sure. It's kind of like a it's kind of like having Skype on your iPhone, you know, you're taking away uh, one of the necessities and you're leaning on the internet and you're able to do things like SMS. Uh, instant communication and you don't have to necessarily be hooked up to anything more than the internet.
1: That is pretty cool. I mean, you could certainly take uh, take uh, SMSs that or, or send SMSs via email, right? I mean, most most SMS, uh, most cell phone providers have phone numbers at, you know, some a phone number and at sign and then the provider name or whatever the domain name is, and they, they'll allow you to send SMS messages that way.
2: I think we're all struggling uh, on the phone side with good phone solutions that you know work in every scenario, and and internet connectivity in certain parts of the world over a cell phone works, but in so many others, especially when you're traveling, they just don't. But SMS always seems to work, so you Absolutely. get you get this power of if I can get to SMS, I could communicate with this app in a somewhat limited way, but I could get
4: communicate. There's actually a, there's actually a, another. Uh company that's using TweetSharp uh in the UK uh and they're using it's, it's called Twe2 twe2.com um and they're actually uh, apparently it's not uh free at this point to use uh Twitter uh, I guess uh, the SMS features of Twitter so they've they're using TweetSharp to provide the uh, equivalent service uh in the UK I think that you know you can Tweet to the, to their mobile phone provider thing and it will send, uh, SMS messages, uh, to other people. So I think that that sort of phenomenon, you know, trying to struggle with finding what the most reliable or in the cheapest way of, of real time communication the people with phones is, is starting there. And I think it's kind of cool that, uh, that a TweetSharp app is in the middle of that right now.
2: Yeah. It's, yeah, we're at we're in an interesting crossroads here that I think, cause I've been trying to figure out why Twitter's taken off is it's not just the social aspect. I mean, i got more to say than fits in 140 characters. Granted, I'm on Twitter, use Twitter, you know, I just sent off, hey, I'm talking about TweetSharp, you know, we're, we're all doing this, but I'm still trying to figure out why this particular product has really gone gangbusters like this.
3: I think one reason is that it, everybody can, can make it what they want it to be. Um, I mean, the people that I follow are mostly developers, um, the the streams of conversation that I see are mostly development related. Um, they lead you to uh, blog posts and interesting stuff on the net um, that that are, are of interest to me. Um, a while ago, uh, there was this whole talk about who was going to hit a million followers first, and it was uh, I think Astrid Kutcher or, or CNN. And and the funny thing was, I I, I didn't I hardly it hardly registered with me that it was even going on and I guess it was a big thing and people were talking about it on the news but obviously the, like the people that I follow and the people that I I uh, that follow me on Twitter like they just not important to them so we don't see that um, you know my wife uses it but she follows a lot of uh, uh, celebrities and 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 that's useful to her and, and she enjoys it and and it's not what I do but you know it's a it's it's a service that's useful to both of us in different ways.
2: Yeah, it's also very interesting to look at teenagers using it as opposed to old guys like us. That just the di- the utilization is different. They look at it a different way.
3: Yeah, so actually, I have a teenage daughter, and 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 I don't even think she knows what it is. I, I it doesn't seem to be something that is really um, being picked up by the teenagers like the like MySpace or Facebook was, uh, where they were sort of the the leaders of that movement and. Uh, and and twitter seems to have started more with the i guess you call them the digerati or you know the uh maybe the 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 20 and 30 somethings that um spend a lot of time um on the computer um you know, i i i don't see a lot of adoption among teenagers but then again you know i i i i'm looking at it through my narrow lens um that that i've defined for myself so i i i could be I could be missing something that's that's actually happening
4: well actually one of the one of the latest studies um uh, and I don't have the site, but I can probably uh, dig it up and and give it to the show notes but uh you know the uh, the most recent thing that I've seen is that the highest adoption rate of Twitter comes from people that are in between thirty and fifty so it's actually a service that people who are not accustomed, you know not normally well, maybe it's just that we've all, like you said, the digirati have just gotten older. Um, but those who are most interested in picking up Twitter and running with it are, are people that are m- much older than, than you know, the other social networking tools when they were launched. The popularity didn't come from that demographic. It's it's a different demographic altogether. All and, of course, that comes with a lot of spam, too. Obviously, we all know about social media gurus and, and such that are all, all over Twitter.
2: Yeah, I wonder. So there are times where I wonder if this is sort of self-perpetuating culture that we're busy talking about it, uh, which makes it exist, and not the other way around.
4: That's still that's still you know that's still a plausible argument, though. Yeah, I, I, it,
3: you could I have put that argument about it. blogs.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Although I haven't written a decent, solid, long, you know, contextual blog post since I started using Twitter, and I don't know if that's just because my itch to create. You know, content is scratched when I can just send a small message out that says, "Hey, have you tried this?" As opposed to, you know, sitting down, taking the time to write it, just seems a little bit like pen and paper to me now. Yeah. So my problem is I've actually reduced my community output, other than obviously TweetSharp, um, since getting on the Twitter, because I just I just don't blog anymore.
1: I don't think that's just you. I think blog readership is way down, and certainly. Um, you know, readers of my blogs and, and other people's blogs I know has gone down. Um, I, I just don't think people are aggregate. I mean, the days of the big RSS aggregator where you ha- sift through tons and tons of stuff that you really don't – some of it you really don't care about, you know. And then big messages too. That, that was One of the beautiful things about Twitter is the shortness of the message. You know, you, you're forced to be concise and provide a link if you want more info. That's true. It's kind of cool.
4: Yeah, I agree. Although, I mean, there are people that, I mean, I guess there's an emerging etiquette that comes from using Twitter, but there are folks who decide to post, you know, 20 or 30 tweets in a row, and that's their message, you know, but in general, yeah, I think when you have so little uh, room to say something, it really forces you to not to pontificate, I suppose, not to be wordy, um, just to deliver the message, and, and that's it. I mean, Although other people too are using it as a sort of human-powered RSS, um, you know, Elijah Manner uh, is kind of uh, internet famous for for collecting all of the worthy .NET links, something that we would all have to do manually in our in our in our own reader and uh, posting them as links on on Twitter. So when I follow him, uh, I don't have to. I basically don't even look at my reader anymore because. The links that I'm interested in, I just pick and choose from his. So it's interesting. It's actually kind of multiplied the places where I have information where I'm trying to find them. So maybe it's made my life a little bit more difficult to try to find out where things are. But a lot of the time, I'll just hit Mark All as Read in my reader and you know hit the panic button on it because, like you said, I'm just not going to those sources of information anymore. I'm just asking people in real time and getting back answers. Very quickly, after uh, two questions that I have technically.
1: Hey, I just want to give a shout out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty free, of course a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActiveReports.net from Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com.
2: You know what Twitter reminds me of? Do you remember IRC when there was only one IRC server in Urbana, Illinois?
4: I remember I- IRC, but I think I joined late enough that it was, you know, during the time of Fnet, and there was a lot of A lot of smaller servers at the time, so I don't think I was there for that.
2: Yeah, because there was there was a time where you just wrote you wrote your question and you got back your answer in minutes, and and it's it's
4: so pretty much reinventing the wheel now, aren't we?
2: Yeah, it's like we need a new (laughs) technology, and it reaches a certain scale where it can serve that particular purpose, and then it unravels again as it get you know nobody goes there anymore; it's too popular. Right, and then uh, and we go back around to the next one. The thing that drives me nuts about Twitter is this proliferation of clients. Like, is this actually necessary? There's so many. No. Oh, I
3: know.
4: <laughs>
3: I think that, I think it'll, it'll probably boil down to, uh, a couple that are, are really good at, at specific things. Um, I think that power users are definitely going to want, uh, the ability to, um, look at the Twitter stream in various different ways. Um, you know, grouping, sorting, um, filtering, that sort of thing. Um, certainly um i think that's why most power users tend to use tweetdeck um it has the ability to to sort into different columns uh run automatic searches um do filtering that kind of thing um rather than just one long list of 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 all your tweets and i think that that there, there's certainly some there's certainly some some ways that it could do better and i think that the clients that are good at at uh Sorting and filtering and 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 showing you different views of the of the of that of that massive data stream are going to be uh, popular with power users.
2: Yeah, I, I'm I when I talked to Scott Hanselman about uh, we on on his show we talked about TweetDeck briefly and I said you know the best measure of the success of a piece of software is how much screen space you're willing to give to it and TweetDeck owns a whole 24 inch monitor most of the day.
4: <laughs> it's true. And, it, and it's
2: been a long time since an application's come along, a long, long time since anything's owned that much screen space. I mean, Outlook gets screen space, Studio gets the most, but TweetDeck—it was—I'm blown, totally blown away by the fact that I suddenly thought, you know what, this needs to be bigger. No, no, it needs to be bigger. I need to get a bigger screen. Yeah,
3: I've got it on, I've got it on half of a half of a monitor and 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 uh, with a scroll bar. So, um, you know, it's. I'd give it a whole monitor, but I I only have two. So
4: (laughs) (laughs) at the same time, though, at the same time, we're kind of still in the Wild West period of Twitter clients. I mean, for all the TweetDeck does, uh, you know that it does well, you still can't drag and drop columns that you know that you have in your box, and they're still sort of stuck in this fixed window that you have to scroll around if you've decided to create too many. I mean, we're you know sure we're giving them a whole monitor, but we wouldn't have to if there was some, you know, more attention paid to user experience and it's you a little can't... brighter. Well, yeah, well, and it's written <laughs> in big... air.
2: How smart could it be?
4: <laughs> awesome, <laughs> but uh, I agree. <laughs> but the user experience is, is still lacking. I mean, you can't. I can't go on my laptop and create, uh, you know, a .NET developers group and then go to my desktop and have that group persist. Like we're talking about rudimentary software development stuff and and i'm sure that the, the developer i mean he received uh, something like five hundred thousand dollars in angel funding you know he's got the leeway and the runway to uh to really move forward with that but you know as he's not doing that there's as he said there's this proliferation of clients i mean there's so many now and you know i've got you know, we've got the 900 downloads of TweetSharp, and TweetSharp is meant to build clients. Uh There's going to be a lot more. I mean, I was saying on a, a recent blog post that I expected there to be 30 professional offerings probably by the end of the summer. Everyone's building one. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jason and I are building one. I don't know anyone who isn't building one. It's kind of like the thing, you know. You're not cool unless you're building a Twitter client. Yeah, right. But, uh, but ultimately, the reason that there's still a kind of a... A push to build them is because they're new and they're not you know, we haven't standardized you've got, I mean Tweety for the Mac is probably the best user experience that I've seen design wise you know, and and it looks great and it works great, There's, there isn't a Windows equivalent yet um, and I know the guys that are doing Blue they're doing you know, a, a smart client WPF application and it looks great but a lot of people will say, you know, the the functionality isn't there yet. So, they all do something really well, but there's there's still not you know one client to rule them all. So, I think that, that that battle, so to speak, is is still very much open.
2: And yeah, you can imagine that people are motivated by different things. I thought Blue was a really interesting exploration of WPF that
4: happened to be a
3: Twitter app. Yeah, it's an amazing looking client. It's uh, and some of the some of the animations and stuff they did are are really gorgeous.
4: But you're right. Probably focused more on WPF than the actual function that it's meant to serve. I think that was more there.
3: Well, it's not,
2: you're not going to make any money on this, right? So do what you're interested in. Mm-hmm. That's true. And it ends up being further mean, and further away from what anybody else may want.
4: That's true too. I mean, there's. I mean, beyond clients, though. I mean, a lot of people are probably building clients because like we said that there's things, the other ones don't do well. So, you know, I want a client that does it like this and I want another person wants a client that does it a different way. I know the, the, the team that's building witty, um, they're already talking about, uh, a third version, the next generation of their Twitter client. They've had a WPF open source, uh, you know, dot net client for a while. Um, and they're actually, uh, standardizing on tweet sharp too. So that's a, that's a great point for us, but they, uh, they're talking right now about building a, a next-generation Twitter client using, uh, you know, Silverlight three and bringing in some more extendability features and making it a more developer-friendly uh, and and you know person-friendly, a, a better aesthetic. Doing what they can there. So, like I said, I still think there's a lot of room for interesting projects to come out of this, and and WPF and Silverlight are, are both great platforms uh, for user experience. So I think you know it's sort of a natural fit to see a lot of. Uh, .NET stuff being written and having Twitter clients be the focus of it because there's a lot to do there. And at the end of the day, you know, you get a client that maybe does things how you want it to, and it's a great way to learn. So I can see a lot of that happening in the near future.
2: Well, and the other angle on this that I think still hasn't been really explored is uh, the integrating of Twitter capabilities into other apps. I mean, why shouldn't you be calling out build numbers and stuff via Twitter and, and when the build gets broken and, and those kinds of things like that? That There's other software that can benefit from this method of communicating.
1: Are people using Twitter in mashups? Mashup sites?
4: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they are. Uh, there's. Mm, I'm drawing a total blank at the moment. Well, hey, I know, do like, you have?
3: Friend, friend feed will. Can pull in your Twitter feed, um, along with your you know your blog RSS feed, your your Flickr stream, um, and a bunch of other things. So, uh, one of the thing that's one of the things it does. Um, there's a couple of Facebook applications that will uh, integrate either um, you know posting everything you post uh, to Twitter on your Facebook wall or um, using it as your Facebook
1: status. Looks like Popfly supports it too.
4: Yeah, it does, absolutely. Um, and, you know, there's third-party providers as well that, like, for example, uh, TwitPic sort of becomes the de facto uh, photo posting service that people use. You know, you take a photo on your cell phone and then uh, post it to Twitter immediately. But if you actually visit the TwitPic website rather than just use the service, um, they do uh, a kind of... Uh, Mashup as well there, where you can see people's photos and the things that they said about them on Twitter. Um, and I and I'm not exactly sure, but I know that Brightkite. I think it's more or less a competing service. Is another has a microblogging features as well. But I've seen a similar thing where where someone will send a Twitter message out uh, and it's geo-coded in a way, and you can see where people are tweeting around the planet, and it sort of lights up. But, uh, that might be more in the in the, the vein of like a diversion as opposed to you know a useful uh, social ma- mashup tool
1: what, um, what what's the what's the next thing on your guys's plate in terms of features or where you want to take it is it is it done is it is it soup
3: <laughs> uh, well part of it is keeping up with uh, with the uh, with Twitter they, they occasionally make tweaks and changes to their apis um, that sometimes break us break our our library and we have to we have to roll out changes really quickly um the next the other thing i'm working on right now is um support for um, the yammer api um if you're familiar with yammer it is uh basically um twitter but within a walled garden of a of a of a corporation um the 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 scope of the network is basically a domain so um every everybody at company.com is within um one Yammer network and the, the the messages that that are posted to that stay within that garden. So um, we use it here at work. Um, I, I I know tons of companies use it, especially for big distributed companies that they find it useful.
2: Yeah, interesting. This is the, this would be a better tool for stuff like breaking the build and you know communicating within the company about stuff.
3: Yep. Um. It, yeah. Actually, um, one of the things that. Uh, that I plan to use it for is a little internal app that we have here for posting screencasts. Uh when we when we complete a feature we post a screencast uh so that people can see it and I, I'd like to integrate that um so that it, it sends out a message to uh to the company via the Yammer network. Um and uh once once we get the uh the Yammer support fully baked into TweetSharp, that'll be uh one of the first things I do with it. Absolutely.
4: Yeah. And in terms of a roadmap of the TweetSharp library itself, and um, we're very close to version one. Um, I know that uh, one of the biggest requests so far from uh, the community that's sort of emerged around this uh, is for better documentation. And frankly, we've been focused pretty much exclusively on building out the actual uh, implementation. So we really want to take a little bit of a visit back to the API, and make sure all the IntelliSense is is there. Because one of the the benefits of using uh, TweetSharp as well is because you get to use Studio and you get to use IntelliSense. I mean, it's one thing, you know, the, the URLs of a REST API are more or less easy to remember, but, um, you still have to keep it in your head. Whereas in TweetSharp, you sort of discover, you go down a chain of methods as a, since it's a fluent interface, as you step down into methods and you add methods to it, the ones that apply to your situation show up and the ones that don't disappear. So you don't have to remember that, you know, the users a method only supports XML and JSON, but the public timeline method lets you use Atom and RSS. Those just won't show up when you try to build using TweetSharp. So um, that's one advantage. Um, and the version one, uh, we're hoping to get out um, before the summer's done. Uh, I'm thinking right now that it'll be out in July. Uh, and some of the features that are there now or are very close to being done that will be in the July release uh, are one... Uh, you can use uh, TweetSharp um, directly on the client side in Silverlight. So if you're building a Silverlight application, uh, you know Silverlight 3 specifically, but we'll probably do a, a back-compatible build. Um, you can, uh, you know, as provided you've got a client proxy set up that understands uh, TweetSharp's language. Um, we have a sort of a, you know, a pseudo-standard in place for what headers need to go on the request uh, in order to do a, a proper a cross-domain call because just Silverlight security, your browser restrictions. Oh, right. You know, every, everything has to be a post. You can't use custom headers with a get, so you have to use a post. So we have to know if you really wanted a post or if you wanted a get. Um, we wanted, you know, uh, you can't set the authorization header directly in Silverlight, so we have to have a custom header for that. And and so basically you can run though, a Silverlight client uh Queries directly in Silverlight so you don't have to, uh, you know, do a WCF service and make a contract and do stuff with TweetSharp on the service side and push a proxy up to the client. You just get it all, uh, from the client side. So that's one feature. Um, you know, the caching is there. Uh, the asynchronous calls are there. We have, uh, integrated support for URL shortening. So if you want to automatically have any URLs you tweet, uh, become uh, bit.ly or tr.im or, uh, is good or whatever, you know, service that we currently support or we'll have, it'll be extensible. That's all in there. The, uh, TwitPic and, and YFrog integration so you can easily post photos, uh, is built right in. Hmm, nice. um, my, yeah, there's lots of stuff. Uh, it's, it's, there's a lot there. Like I said, it's not just wrapping the guts of OAuth. You know, we don't, we do, Provide OAuth. It's like four lines of code to do OAuth instead of having to implement your own nonce generator and things like that. It's stuff you don't want to have to think about.
1: Do you know what t- Twitter is running on? I had I had heard it was was it no? It's Facebook that's running on PHP. Was it? It was I Twitter running Rails. on Rails? I think it's Rails. Yeah. Does
4: I think the application is they're very tight-lipped about what server technology they're using. Uh, in the book that I'm writing uh, for Rocks Press, um, I did a lot of looking into that technology and it's interesting because the the http response for uh, things coming back from twitter normally you'd have you know am i running on apache or whatever on in the server tag their server tag says hi so <laughs> they're they're very tight-lived about what they're using and uh, i was quick to, to to joke with them that uh, they just don't you know it's definitely iis underneath the hood but mm-hmm. uh, we're pretty sure that Uh, it's a yeah as far as the application itself the one on the web it looks very much like a like a rails app but i don't know know,
3: i know at one point they were it was called the largest or biggest rails app out there um and at the same time um they were having a lot of stability and and uptime issues um and they 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 got some they got some more funding and they did some work and and that some of those issues went away, so I don't. But I don't know what they did, and I don't think anybody does that doesn't work there.
4: Well, the API developer lead, uh, Alex Payne, he's writing a book right now on Scala, isn't he? Or if it's not already finished, I think that might be his language of choice. But as far as I know, they have a broad range of uh, open source type stuff going well, on over there. I was
1: asking what it's running on, just because, um, uh, you know, I I know it's crashed a couple of times you know, from, from the load, and I guess they've fixed it. But do you remember anything around those stories of when it went down or when it got overloaded?
3: Oh, it, it used to get overloaded uh, almost every day. Yeah. Um, you know, several months ago, maybe a year ago. Um, and and now it occasionally has stumbles, but it, it, it's it's way, way better than it used to be.
1: So they obviously moved it to something, <laughs> some, uh, onto a maybe a server farm or something. Interesting. All right, guys, is there anything we missed about TweetSharp that you want to mention?
3: Uh, we have a group, a Google group uh, for discussion. Uh, people can post questions on there. Um, that I made a shrinkster for that. That's uh, shrinkster com slash one y s, as in Sam, and uh, they can get the code from Google Code, which is shrinkster.com com um, slash one six y t. You can grab the the preview releases or. Uh, if you're brave, the the trunk right from Subversion.
1: Okay, cool. Well, thanks, guys. Well, thank you. All right. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions.